You know what time it is. It's the old char, char, charly time. It hasn't even been like three seconds into this episode and I'm already tired, man. How do you do that every Call time? Call me dank who? Because I'm not talking about propane. I'm talking about that charred, charry char goodness. Charcoal? You see, that is the inferior product to propane. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the Poor Pearls Almanac. I am Elliot, and unfortunately, I'm joined by my co-host, an occasional maniac, Andy. Say what's up. Say hi. You know, today, we're not talking about any old charcoal. Not, not the Hank Hill, Texas charcoal, but specific kind. One that has its virtues extolled across the back-to-earth gardener internet. Biochar. But what is biochar? Is it even really like a, a thing? And why would you need it if you've never used it before? Well, that's why I keep you around. Eh, there are worse ways to go. No, not like that. Matt, what are your thoughts on Andy biochar? I mean, we all gotta go some way. I mean, if if you're going back to the earth, it's a I think it's like a pretty quick way of doing it. Green funeral? Yeah. I don't think that's what I meant when I said that, but for the if this like for the record for this audio of recording, I wanted to show that I did not do anything with Andy. I didn't turn him into biochar when he went into the woods and disappeared after he lost his mind. Whatever, man. We're gonna be listening to this in court one day. I hope so. We're gonna be listening to a lot of these podcasts in court one day. <laughs> yeah, which court case? Oh, that's not. We we talked a little bit about biochar like two seconds, like way back when we did our Maya episode. But we didn't really answer any of the questions you probably have. And uh, today we're going to try to. And in that process, unfortunately or fortunately, if you're me, we we might offend some YouTube homesteaders. So bonus points for that. Andy, we run a YouTube channel now. The only YouTuber I respect is the tuber you put in the ground. Dude, this guy just zinging him today. <laughs> yeah. He's on fire. Locked and loaded. Th thanks, dad. Anyways, biochar. What's the difference between that and our good old friend char? All right. I went to college. It's bio. Technically correct. Best kind. Biochar is pyrogenic carbon. And unlike charcoal, biochar is heated to higher temperatures. Not only is it something that we've seen in places with poor soil, it's one of the oldest practices we have human records of. The oldest recorded use of biochar by men are drawings in the Grotte Chauvet, which are older than 38,000 years. I probably mispronounced that. And despite the fact that we are talking about using it in agriculture, it's been a core piece of how we have existed on the earth. Only biochar was clean enough to do things like smelt metals at such high temperatures. It's a key component in gunpowder discovered in China in the ninth century. And of course, we could talk about the terra preta of the Amazon, the poor soils that were made significantly better through management and, you guessed it, biochar. So it sounds to me like basically biochar is like super pure charcoal with a bunch of impurities and junk burned off at those higher temperatures, right? So is this made, like do people have to make it or does it happen like after like prairie fires and stuff like that? Like where does it come from? To get to the first part of your question, it really depends who you ask what biochar really is. So without going too deep into the terra preta, it's worth talking about the evidence from these sites that were managed for thousands of years. The first is that sites with biochar had higher pH values and couldn't be delivered to the soil simply by slash and burn like we had talked with the Maya 
and evidence actually suggests that slash and burn or swid in agriculture came after biochar had been utilized. Okay, so one thing I do know about biochar is that in the modern setting, rice husk biochar in Japan was called kuntan. It was basically a medium used for ornamental plants and used in some early hydroponics. And this was going on like 100 years ago now. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning. Like, what is it? So you're right. It, it's basically charcoal, but super pure, sort of. Most biomass plants or whatever can make biochar, and this is done by heating up that material in the absence of oxygen to temperatures between 600 and 950 degrees Fahrenheit. That's like the really bare, bare bones of it. The amount and the quality of the product that you might be trying to get out of the process, whether that's the biochar or some of the other materials that come out of it, like tars and oils, depend heavily on those higher temperatures, as well as some more complex variables like pressure and heating rate. So when folks try to define biochar you know, outside of YouTube University, Shots fired. calorific value, hardness, compressive strength, surface area, electrical resistivity, and reactivity are all measured to qualify its status. I don't think Farmer John on YouTube is measuring those, or at least I haven't heard him do it yet. Yeah, and I totally can't wait to research that pseudoscience video because that sounds <laughs> kind of funny. Yeah. So it's the high temperatures, but I think the important thing to point out is it's not like burning uh, biomass like in flames and like fire. It's it's like heating it up like in an oven, like like heat. Yeah, basically, you're you're trying to seal it off from burning, but also getting it to that temperature. Right. The key thing here is the temperatures. Right. They're really important. And while we can't control our backyard biochar setup and pressure and heating rates, uh, those are made less important, but still important by getting to that higher temperature and just really holding it there. It's not ideal for getting those secondary products, the tars and so on. But for our purposes right now, we're not really interested in those. And our goal is to reduce the amount of hydrocarbons in the biochar, which reduces its impurities and uh, all that stuff that might be good for charcoal, those tars and oils that like to burn. But that's not what we're trying to get here. However, studies also show that the higher the temperature we make the biochar at, the less water retention it has afterwards. So it's along the lines of making like regular charcoal, where you put a bunch of wood like in a barrel. And you throw that barrel in the fire and it's sealed off and you don't burn it, you heat it up and you leave behind those nice little carbon blocks. These are just more pure. So we got it. It's super pure charcoal. That's badass for soil. Yes and no. Uh-oh. Like, so the biochar is like the high temperature pure stuff, where it's just like regular like grilled charcoal. It's like the low, it's like just can be done with just like a lower temperature. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Basically. So the and like I said, there's a bunch of different variables and what the qualities of that biochar are. So the burning process, also if it wasn't already clear, is breaking the bonds of the biomass. And in this breaking process, these broken bonds don't adhere to new things. And this is what in particular gives biochar its unique, and to use the scientific term, chemisorption properties. Yeah, and I genuinely can't tell if you just made that word up now or not on the spot. Surprisingly, I didn't. It does sound like a meism, though, doesn't it? All right, step back. Biology graduates putting his useless degree to work. It's like magnets, basically, but like on a molecular scale. It's how rust forms as their reaction on the exposed surface of iron creates a distinct bond. 
Okay. So with biochar, because of this process of cooking it, releasing those bonds, it gives you the unique properties with things around it, like like soil. Or piss jugs. Did, how I don't I don't know what to say. Did you just say piss jugs? Yeah. Piss jugs, Elliot. Way of the road, buddy. I, I think we need to take a quick break. Hit it, Don. Jugs of piss. Are you looking for a sexy Halloween costume with an ecological twist? Come on down to the Poor Paroles Farming Emporium and Sexy Halloween Warehouse, where we have such favorites as Sexy Upper Middle Class Farmer, Sexy Goat, Teats Optional, Sexy Vermectin, Sexy Perennial Fruit and Nut Trees, Sexy Swale and Pond Systems, and Blueberry Bush. Find us at our new home on the web, poorproles.com. Welcome back, and we're here to talk about piss jugs all day, every day, jugs for your piss. You'd be amiss if you didn't jug your piss. Yeah, and I really hope there's a reason for all of this because either Andy just turned into a trucker with like six hours left and a few hundred miles, and he ain't stopping to whiz. All right, let's not yuck Andy's yum, Elliot. (laughs) We're not quite ready for the piss jug segment of this episode, but it is coming. At this point, we've talked about how biochar is heated why it's different than regular charcoal, and how the different processes can impact the quality of biochar. After we've cooked it, we need to you know, let it cool down before we can do anything with it because it's hot. And uh, not, you know, we don't want to just keep our hands safe, but also if it's still at that high temperature, exposing it to oxygen will, you know, burn it up. Dude, I'd be so mad if I spent like all day making biochar and then it just ended up burning for no other reason than just like, I popped the top too early. <laughs> Popping the top too early. So in terms of actual facilities for making biochar, you can basically make it as easy or as complicated as you want. I have like one of those little hotel metal saucepans that has like a lid that I can toss into my wood stove. And I got that idea from Edible Acres. Yes, they're a YouTuber that makes about a gallon or so of biochar at a time. But a lot of folks will use like burn barrels and there's some pretty impressive designs such as the annela stove, which maximizes the heat production by also burning the gases from the biochar production. Yeah. So it's like a wood stove with a catalytic converter. Yeah, pretty much. The catalytic converter is a secondary burn of the off gases. And that's basically what they figured out how to do with a fancy 55 gallon drum, basically. Yeah. And that secondary burn and getting that extra oxygen and gases in there is totally necessary to get those higher temperatures and burn off impurities and other junk that needs higher temperatures to release those bonds we were talking about earlier from the carbon. Yeah, bookmark this for the end of the world. Let's make some use of those aesthetic burning barrels. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's the the Anila stove, but I did see a design for um, one of those fire barrels with two of them. And I don't know, it takes a a little bit of ingenuity in thinking about it. And you can make really cool like burn barrels that remind me of a couple that I saw when I used to snowboard back in the day in some local hills. I used to see them around. Elliot, do you still snowboard? No. My knees and back are toast. Do a poor pearls snowboard trip. <laughs> no. <laughs> That'd be fun. That'd be a poor pearls Andy drinks at the bar while you guys snowboard. You can drink yeah. on the mountain if you're, you know... I do a couple runs. I don't know if I go all day like I used to. I'll be out. I'll be done by like five o'clock in the afternoon, piss drunk and sleep. Don't worry about me. Just slide down on your butt. Speaking of sliding down on your butt, biochar. How are you going to do that? Okay. (laughs) Yeah, no, (laughs) not that good. You know, we've talked about biochar as a, a soil thing, 
But that's not the only thing it's really potentially useful. Biochar can be used for things like heating homes to being a byproduct of other products. So like we've talked about making like tar and all these other things, but you can make wood vinegar from the smoke or like I said, those oils and the biochar is often used in like air purification, like the char filters and uh, water filtration as well. And there's some really, I'll say, hopeful research coming out on PFAs and biochar use. But we're not really here to talk about those, but it's definitely worth like, you know, being aware of them and maybe we will talk about them sometime in the future. Ah, uh, sure. Yeah, we'll put it on the list. Oh, the list. The list. Yeah, and it should. And this is your fault. Like you said, 20, 30 episode tops and we'd be done. Yeah, we're at like 120 tops right now. You said tops. Okay, so maybe we won't cover biochar water filtration. Yeah, well now I want to. Okay, maybe we will. Oh, come on, I hit it when you guys fight. Anyways, if we're done here, Let's talk about biochar as a soil amendment. We know what it is. We know why it's important. Its most commonly known fact is that it raises pH and it's a carbon sink. And we know it has improved soils in the past, but what else? Uh, it's the only way to cook a really great burger. I can almost guarantee you it probably does cook a fucking phenomenal burger. It's the only thing I'm going to use when I cook my Wagyu, man. Yeah. That A5, buddy. But being the super porous thing that we're adding to our soil with those chemisorption properties, it's really great at doing things like sucking in water instead of letting it run off. And while we don't know why this is the case as of yet, evidence has also shown that it's most effective in this capacity when incorporated into coarse textured soils. So like sand, if you recall way, way back to like episode two or three, I think. Sand is actually much more coarse and larger than clay. And the spaces between the two sand granules is why water flows through sandy soil so easily while clay is tiny and water basically struggles to break through. Now, biochar has been shown to increase water retention by up to 20% in these sandier soils. These increases are even more prominent in biochars that were heated to higher temperatures. Okay, so I grew up like vegetable gardening in like super sandy soil and so the water would just like fall straight through it so adding biochar so like making our biochar and like mixing that in as a soil amendment would have been like super helpful probably but here's the thing the research is really confusing right now on biochar we're still really in the the early stages of understanding it so while it probably would help that doesn't mean everyone should just go add biochar, especially if they have sandy soils. These effects occur not always in the same magnitude, and depending on that burning process, as well as the feedstock, what are you using for that biochar? Not less important is the soil itself. The same biochar applied to different soils can have different impacts. Physical, chemical, and biological properties of soil and biochar influence one another. Yeah, that was a really long-winded say of saying your 100th yes and no answer. Listen, if so I do does like, it does it help or doesn't it? Like we don't know. Well, we do. We don't, but we do. We so, gotta like add like a yes and no shock jock button. You know, like a sound effect. Just like <laughs> yeah, 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 yes and no. Yes and no. <laughs> we need to do yes and no stickers. Well, yes, but no. Yes, <laughs> yes but also no. no. Uh, so uh, I'll, I'll explain this a little bit. So we've talked in the past about this idea of the cation exchange capacity. This is super important for the availability of nutrients. And we covered this, I think, actually not in the soil episode, but in the Jadam episode, I think. And 
this uh, cation exchange capacity is really low in freshly produced biochars. And it increases only through its oxidative processes in the soil. So its exposure to oxygen gives it greater cation exchange capacity. Therefore, the soil improving facts can't be generalized because it's not even like we add it and you have this result because that is changing fairly rapidly during its time in the soil. Now, on some poor soils, the increase in biomass yield can be several hundred percent. But there are also a few reports on experiments where plant growth was actually suppressed by biochar. There could be a number of reasons for this from the pH change we had talked about earlier, which could suppress some of the microbial communities, uh, which are useful for plant growth, obviously, or uh, a freshly produced biochar might absorb most of the available nutrients and induce basically a a temporary nutrient deficiency the same way wood chips might. Okay, so I'm just going to like sum that up for our listeners. So biochar is good for the soil unless it's bad for the soil, but it might only be bad for the soil until it's good for the soil. Is that, am I hitting that right? Yeah, crystal, crystal clear. Perfect. What the fuck? And you know what else is perfect? This commercial coming in hotter than a biochar oven. Very nice. Howdy. Hello. Hang on, let me let me try that again. <clears throat> Hello, skeleton army. That's aggressive. Yeah. I'm Angel Luna. I'm Nash Flynn. Welcome to Death and Friends. We're two comedians with a podcast. It's very original of us. Quiet, you. It is a history tour about everyone's final destination. As an academic. Nerd. I have a PhD. I almost sort of have a, kind of have a PhD. Anyway, I've researched a lot of death history. And also, I'm here. We'll talk about ways we die, ways we get buried, and ways we get remembered. And we even make some friends along the way. Huh? Is it a comedy podcast about death? Or a death history podcast that's funny? We have no idea. Mm, look, death can be tricky to talk about. And even though we're talking about it, a lot. <laughs> Just please know, in fact, remember that you are loved, you matter, and if you don't want to be your own friend, we will happily be your friend. Put me in your top eight, baby. Join us and listen to Death and Friends. Become a member of the Skeleton Army. Like right now. Do it. It's mandatory. Go on. Subscribe. Hit the button. Mm-hmm. Yep. You can say it. Did yep. you do it? Yes? Okay, good. Okay. Love you. Love you. Death and Friends Podcast. Available everywhere you listen to podcasts. Death? And we're back to talk about piss jugs for real this time. All piss. All the time. Even for you. For us, this is an all-time low. Yes and no. You you fucking... (laughs) So pish jugs into this conversation. Listen, there's there's a reason for the season. And it's not Donald Trump's showers either. All right, enough with the piss play. Fine. Let's talk about urea. Is it urea? What are we talking about? So we've talked about what biochar is, right? We've talked about the fact that it has the super high surface area and it's got this cation exchange capacity thing going on, especially early on when it's still low, means it has the surface capacity to absorb a lot of nutrients. But its low cation exchange capacity limits its ability to fully absorb those nutrients until it's been oxidized. That said, again, this might be a refresher, high pH soils have higher cation exchange capacity. So when we talk about it being low, it's low for something at that pH, not low in general. Now, the statistical average for biochar, and we're obviously talking, as we've made pretty clear, in pretty loose terms here, is around 15. I know, that doesn't mean anything to most people listening. Yeah, obviously. 
for context, the average loam, which is basically what people want for their soil, is between 15 and 30. So it's right in the ballpark where you'd be happy, even at its low end, right? Fully oxidized biochar, in comparison, can have a cation exchange capacity over 50 and has even been documented over 200. So I would imagine that the high pH and the biochar would also make them interesting spaces for microbial activity as well. Exactly. So to circle back, the cation exchange capacity is low for biochar, but not low in general, meaning when added to poor soils, it can quickly absorb nutrients from the soil, making the surrounding soil poorer. And that's where the piss jugs come in. Soaking the biochar nutrient-rich liquids <coughs> is a, a fantastic way to charge that soil, as they say in, in the YouTuber community. And urine is full of that great stuff, you know, for your plants or your showers. So all those piss jugs in your car weren't for like road rage incidents. Oh God, I want to be on the other side of that <laughs> road rage incident. Yeah, well, don't drive like an asshole, Matt. I'll try not to. <laughs> Welcome to Massachusetts. Yeah, a whole new dimension to asshole. <laughs> so anyways, uh, charging biochar is fairly simple, and it doesn't need to be urine. It can be compost liquid, fish emulsion, and even Jadam liquid fertilizer or Jadam microbial solution. Basically, soak the biochar in the material for a few weeks. Take it out. It can be as simple or as complicated as you want to make it. Okay, so as a non-farmer here, I do have a question. If it's good at absorbing things, couldn't it also absorb bad things? It can, and sometimes it does. Like a charred mask filters and stuff? Exactly, and biochar can be used for contaminated site cleanups, but it can also basically cause things to, well, get mixed up and draw pollutants closer to root systems and so on. This could be a great solution for soil remediation, which I think would be really cool. One thing that doesn't get talked about much, though, around biochar use is that even if we don't understand quite how it works yet, repeated studies have shown that biochar also increases the biological nitrogen fixation of leguminous plants and reduces the amount of nitrous oxide emissions from soils, which is an incredibly potent greenhouse gas, almost 300 times carbon dioxide. And so biochar can be made out of any biomass, right? While that is true, classic yes and no, they're not all equal. Oh, crap. The, 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 the common theme seems to be that the best biochar materials tend to be those which reflect the site they'll be uh, used on. So if you're in like a mature forest, which I don't know why you're throwing biochar down, but if you are, hardwood biochar is the best. And to make it even more complicated, softwoods have shown to hold water better even if they're otherwise less quote-unquote good at other biochar-y stuff. Uh, so using both might make sense based on the site needs itself. If you're in a pasture or prairie, cornstarks or something similar would be ideal. There doesn't seem to be any real evidence for why this is the case, but repeated tests continue to show this is a consistent result. Okay, so we've heard that come up in some of the other stuff that we've talked about in other episodes. So I guess you don't really need science if you have hard evidence that shows you that that's the case, right? Who cares about science? Fuck science. Poor Pearl's Almanac. We're completely anti-science. Super, super it's science. all bullshit. Yep, all of it. That's the new sticker. Fuck science. <laughs> the science is proven. The science is bullshit is what we're trying to say here. Exactly. Uh, so so yeah. if we're, 
Well, hold yeah. on. If we're working with biochar, it's mostly a good thing, but not always. So, like, how would somebody figure out how to, like, incorporate this into whatever they're trying to do? That's a million-dollar question. The simple answer is we don't really know a whole lot at this point about the interactions between biochar and other soil materials, whether that's compost, the existing minerals in the soil, the plant choices on the site, water, you know, a million other things. Plenty of resources point to examples of where biochar has actually reduced the soil health. And some evidence suggests that in some cases, the benefits of biochar only last a few years. Now, before like people say, okay, we're not going to use it, this is like a statistical, like a s very small sampling of the studies that have come out on biochar. So like by no means the fact that these things happen means you shouldn't use it, but rather we should be looking at why those things happened. Further, there's even evidence that has shown that in longer term studies that biochar has increased the microbial activity in forests, but actually decreased the biomass turnover time, which means that carbon is cycling back out of the earth uh, more quickly, which normally isn't a bad thing. And we could probably talk about why this is an oversimplification of climate change. If you're interested in that subject, check out our recent interview with Peter Gelderloos. Had to squeeze that plug in there. That's what she said. <laughs> Who? Ah, uh, buddy, don't worry about it, but I'm pretty sure you do know her. Okay. Nope. <laughs> the, the point is that there's no hard and fast rules around biochar use. We're embarrassingly lacking in knowledge on its use, but there are some pretty clear examples of when it's best. Like Matt's example, uh, sandy exploited soils, specifically regions where there's low pH and repeated clear cutting or tree plantations. Sounds like New England. Yeah, and the entire East Coast. But it's important to pay attention to the landscape and to make sure your biochar isn't drawing nutrients out of the soil. The point here should be that biochar isn't a magic fix like the internet might suggest. And in some cases, you know, there's a real risk that it could even be damaging. In some cases, there's even evidence of using too much and causing problems, even when it's properly charged. Okay, so biochar is like doing drugs. Could be good, could be bad. And sometimes it can be neither. In a, a study in 2015, researchers- well, that's never happened. Yeah. <laughs> uh, researchers- applied like significantly different volumes of biochar to a cornfield, and there was literally no change across the entire site. It was like they had done nothing and they don't have a clue why. And I do want to bring up again that biochar is great at accumulating pollutants and heavy metals and drawing them closer to your root systems, uh, meaning if they're in the soil, it isn't going to be good for the, the people eating the plants. All right. So we've talked pretty thoroughly about biochar, what it is, whether or not it's good, but if I want to use it, how much should I use and should I bury it and grind it up or like what exactly? At this point, you could just say, I'm going to do whatever I want because the science probably proves and disproves what I want to do. And that's kind of the case. It, it's complicated. Generally, when we measure stuff like biochar that we're applying into the soil, we're trying to measure the volume with say like lime, if you're gonna lime your pasture, we can just say we have X amount of square feet at a certain pH and we wanna get it up to another number. And we can just use that to figure out how much to apply. With biochar, since we're adding it to the soil and we're thinking about it a little bit differently, we need to think about the depth and that depth varies depending on your interests and your needs. Generally speaking, and of course, as we've covered, it's complicated, but a standard spot to work from is around 20 pounds per acre which you can work back if you're uh, working on a couple hundred square feet, 
uh, and you want to get that into the soil at least five to 10 inches if possible. If you're not capable of doing that, grinding it and applying it with a compost or another soil amendment to mix it into just so it doesn't blow away will be helpful in getting it into the soil. Okay, so everybody just experiment with the biochar. Let us know how that turns out. All this talk about char is really getting me in the mood to fire up my old charcoal grill and cook some stuff on it because I do like the taste. Yeah, are we going to be using a biochar or just the the old Charlie char, the charcoal? I mean, if you have some laying around, I'll use whatever you got, big buddy. <laughs> Charred coal. Grill me that filet fish. Grill me that fish. Do they grill the fish in filet fish? Do you not remember that? Does song? this mean? No, I do. But do they grill? Okay. They don't Matt, grill do you know the filet what we're fish. About? They don't have a grill at fucking McDonald's. No, that thing is deep fried along with every other. No, single. I think it's bring me that filet fish. But you know, let's go on with the theme, guys. Come on, break me off a piece of that filet fish. Does this mean we're done? I, it might mean we're done. Um, Matt, do you got anything to add? Fuck biochar, or don't? Maybe it's complicated. It's complicated. Yeah, always make sure you get consent. Until next time, <laughs> stay complicated. And remember to piss on your local char briquettes. Yeah, and my wife's just going to be so thrilled that I came home with positive reasons to keep fish drugs. But will she eat your tomatoes? <laughs> I don't grow any tomatoes. Whatever you're growing. We don't grow Quote tomatoes unquote, around here, tomatoes, dude. Tomatoes, we'll call them that. We are in Massachusetts. We can grow v- many varieties of tomatoes. Yeah, I did have some heirlooms the other day that were pretty good. Pretty good heirlooms. My, my buddy grew grew some. They were in biochar. I don't know what he does. He's he's a very intense person, and I would imagine he probably uses the best biochar man has to offer. So just think you're smoking his piss, smoking a piss. Those tomatoes eating a piss. <laughs> okay, we're done here. Thank God. Ooh, good app. <laughs>